Warning. The following broadcast is not approved by your teacher, university, politician, or government. Side effects may include skepticism, better reasoning skills, liberty, peace, and an escape from the woke. Welcome to the show. I am your host, L.B. Muniz, and this is the Been Awake Podcast for Better Sense Making, and you are listening to a portion of episode 86. So if you missed the last episode, this is the new show format. I'm going to be doing live streams a couple of times a month. You can join those for free and watch the entire two hours, three hours, whatever we end up doing together, asking questions, participating. You know, let's bounce ideas off of each other. In this episode, I'd go through a bunch of stuff. And if you want to get the full unedited episode, all you have to do is become a member of the Been Awake Elite. But in episode 86, we talk about Mexican Independence Day in Chicago, Gavin Newsom making the climate crisis simple, Matt Walsh versus Pearl Davis talking about red pills and, you know, these new ideas about marriage some people have, Lauren Boebert getting caught getting with a little hanky-panky at a date at a Beetlejuice Broadway show, the military's moral imperative being abortion, Trump talking abortion on Meet the Press, about a little bit about RFK and how he loves America, the new Senate dress code, dumb, a dumb, and then a bunch of dumb videos. My la- the last little bit is a bunch of dumb videos, like something dumb Charlie Kirk said, something dumb someone said defending communism, and then this dumb guy that I saw on X taking a sledgehammer to his shotgun. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Make sure you subscribe with your email at beenawake.com and follow me on all social media. Let's get into the episode. You know, eh, do I want to talk about this? You know what? We're going to talk about this, okay? We're going to go, yeah, and then we're going to do that. Okay, so there's been, so have you noticed, have you noticed recently there's been an uptick in stories out there about, um, about political figures? There's a reason for that. That's because everybody's back from vacation, okay? It's important as when we analyze the news cycles to understand these, these general ebbs and flows that exist. And one of those ebbs and flows that exists is a lot of people go on vacation in August and so September, Congress comes back into session and so we see a lot of stories. And there's been a couple recently that I thought that we're gonna, that we're gonna talk about here a little bit. And the first one involves Lauren Boebert Lauren Boebert out of Colorado. Now, bef- heretofore, before recording this episode, the thing Lauren Boebert was most known for was carrying a pistol on her all the time. That was one of her claims to fame as she was rising up through the, uh, as, as she was rising up through the, uh, as she was running for office, I should say. And it became a big point of contention when she got to Washington, D.C. because she wanted to still carry her firearm. And of course, uh, Nancy Pelosi didn't want that to happen. I think she eventually, re- she eventually said that, it, that obviously she wouldn't be doing that. And like, again, there's one thing I, you know, frankly, I think probably most, if I was a representative, I'd probably want to like, you know, maybe keep something in my briefcase sometimes because you never know. But there are there are secu- there is security there, but like what she would do is like carry that big on her hip, you know, big and ostentatious on her hip, and so she wanted to continue to do that. Seems a little excessive. That's part of the theater of politics. Not the story we're going to cover today, because the story we're going to cover today strips down to his underwear. Later, he paid. Now this is Julian this is, one- is a. Mer- 
this is a um, this is a little clip that went viral. We're going to use it kind of as a jumping off point for the purposes of our conversation. On um, the top is her giving a speech on the floor, and then the bottom is uh, allegedly, or I think it's confirmed, is Lauren Boebert out on a date. Julian is a mermaid found in DODEA elementary school libraries, describes a boy who wants to become a mermaid. During the book, the boy repeatedly strips down to his underwear. Later, he puts on lipstick and dons a headdress. He is then given a costume jewelry uh, before being seen, but before being taken to the NYC Mermaid Parade where he can freely express himself. So if you don't know the story here, apparently Lauren Boebert was, got divorced around a year ago, so she's back in the dating pool. And as part of that process, she went on a date with somebody, and I'm assuming he bought tickets to go see Beetlejuice on stage. Weird choice of play, if you're asking me, but hey. I'm not one to judge that hard about something like that. I just doesn't sound very fun to me. It doesn't sound like a very fun musical. And I'm, I'm a fan of musicals. Um, but anyway, so they're at this thing and at one point or another, and in the, the course of the show, she gets kicked out and she gets kicked out because they said she was vaping and she was being loud and disruptive, blah, blah, blah. She then I think probably made some sort of comments about how she just got kicked out of somewhere, not realizing that the theater in question had cameras with the ability to see in the darkened theater. So there was actually video released of her vaping in the theater, which look, you know, if any of you vape and, you know, you vape inside. Like, yeah, yeah, you're not supposed to, but everybody knows you do it. Usually you're pretty good about hiding it, but maybe you've had a couple of drinks because you just, you're coming from dinner and it's not going, and, you know, you, you just need that nicotine rush. So she was vaping. And But that's, that's the foolhardiness of this position. Here she is, a conservative culture warrior going to a Broadway show. You're not exactly walking into a friendly audience. There's an interesting reason as to why she might have gone, and that's because the guy probably brought the, bought the tickets. The other thing, and that's what you kind of saw in the video here that we were just watching, the other thing that happened is, you know, they're saying that they were, you know, they were doing a little hanky-panky. This, the guy that she's with is what can only at what can only be described as fondling Representative Bobert. He is full on grabbing her in public, and she, you know, no, I will say if you watch this video a couple of times, nervously, she nervously reciprocates. Now, if this was some a normal person, this really wouldn't be a story, but this is an opportunity. To take, uh, to, to take shots at a sitting representative, specifically a representative that doesn't really play by the rule book you're supposed to play by in Washington, D.C. It also comes out that the guy she was on a date with is, a, is not only um, is a Democrat, a Democratic donor who owns a bar that has drag shows. So... The question is kind of, you kind of got to ask yourself the question, why? Like, why would somebody like, why would those two people go on a date now? Maybe I'll, I'll leave room for love in my heart. Maybe it was, maybe it was a connection and maybe she is a hopeless romantic. And so she decided to go on a date with somebody. 
Maybe it was a honeypot. Maybe this guy was trying to draw her into some kind of uncomfortable position because he thought it would be funny. And because, hey, you know, she's not that bad looking, so you may as well do it. What I'm seeing, if she's commented on anything recently. Now, most of her, now I will say to her credit, most of her Twitter thing has more to do with her, uh, most of what she's done here has more, has more to do with the impeachment proceedings against Biden. So maybe she's just, here we go. Oh, yeah, so she just said, yeah, basically she just acknowledged it by saying that she was having too much fun and that's why she got kicked out, which could have been the case. And she could have also just been a little bit drunk. It happens. But because but the foolishness of her is to go on a date kind of period, honestly, like I understand that people have needs and people want to find partnership and you're recently divorced and you want to try and get back out there. But, it, you know you should probably have your friends hook you up with somebody. And if your friends hooked you up with this guy, you should probably find some better friends. What's so funny about situations like this for me um, is in that they intersect with politics is a, it just kind of shows the degradation of our political structure, right? Like this is who, this is who's representing us in Congress. Somebody that's somebody that's going on a date with somebody who is of such low taste that he's willing to grope you on your first date in the middle of a theater. Look, I'm not opposed to some hanky panky, but I'm just saying there's a time and a place. And when somebody has a public profile, the person that they're with should maybe do something to accommodate that. You don't get to live a normal life when you become a politician. There's a trade off to it. And she should be, be and she should think more about who she spends her time with. And I'm sure she will after something like this happens, right? Oh, you know, this is a fun one. I don't think I ever read this one. We're going to we're going to we're going to switch gears now. We're going to talk to John Kirby, who is uh I believe one of the press secretaries. He's the guy that comes out when the main girl doesn't. And he's going to talk about why abortion is necessary for military readiness. Why is the new DOD policy on abortion critical to military readiness? Together. I'm really glad you asked that question. No, I mean, I really am. One in five members of the U.S. military are women, 20%. We're an all-volunteer force. Nobody's forcing you to sign up and go. People volunteer to go. You raise your right hand and you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this for a few years or even for my life. And it might cost me my life to do it. And when you sign up and you make that contract, you have every right to expect that the organization, in this case the military, is going to take care of you and they're going to take care of your families. And they're going to make sure that you can serve with dignity and respect no matter who you are or who you love uh, or, uh, or how you worship or don't. And, um, and our policies, whether they're diversity, inclusion, and equity, or whether they're about transgender individuals who qualify physically and mentally to serve to be able to do it, with dignity uh, hang on or whether it's let's, about let's go back because i could have sworn the question was about abortion why is the new dod policy on abortion critical to military readiness okay he did talk about abortion and we are it's a three-minute clip we're already a minute in minute plus female family members gays. being able to count on the kinds of health service members one in five or with dignity or whether it's about female service members one in five 
or female family members being able to count on the kinds of health care and reproductive care specifically that they need to serve, uh, that is a foundational, sacred obligation of military leaders across the river. Uh, I've seen it myself, and it matters because it says we're invested Ooh. in you because you some dark are being willing to invest in us. You're investing your life, your family's livelihood with us, we owe you that back in return. I had a chance a couple of weeks ago to meet with some military spouses here at the White House. Um, some were active duty members, some were spouses, all were women. And 201, they told me, uh, that abortion laws in this country that are now being passed are absolutely having an effect on their willingness to continue serving in uniform or to encourage or discourage, in this case, their spouses from continuing service. So if you don't think there's going to be a retention... This is dark, man. ...in a morale issue, think again, because it's already having that effect. I have a, a, a son uh, in the Navy. I think you all know that. And son-in-law, too. They're both stationed down in Norfolk on destroyers. You know, and they're proud to keep serving their country in the Navy. But, you know, the Navy told them where to go. They go. You go where you're told. That's the way orders work. You go where you're assigned. You don't get to choose. And so what happens if you get assigned to a state like Alabama which has a pretty restrictive abortion law in place, and you're concerned about your reproductive care. What do you do? Do you say no and get out? Well, some people may decide to do that. And what does that mean? That means we lose talent, important talent. And we're, again, an all-volunteer force. Recruiting is tough enough as it is with a very strong economy out there. We want to keep the people that we get, and we want to, we want to make sure that they can continue to serve. So it, has, it can have an extremely extremely significant impact on our recruiting and our retention. Not to mention, it's just the right any, darn any thing to do for oh. people that raise their hand and agree to serve in the, in the military. Oh, okay. It's the right darn thing to do, he says. Make sure the people can kill babies. What's very, you know... <coughs> What's very sad to me about the current state of affairs, because I don't want to be, I don't want to be one of those shows that indulges in the, in the doomerism. Um, and like, I don't, I don't, I don't want you to think that I'm, that I'm talking about all the bad things in the world because I don't know. I think that it's wor I think that the world is some dark and evil place. There's evil on earth, but there's also good. But one thing that's particularly disheartening to me looking at this uh let's see, I'm looking for another clip to play here. One thing that's particularly disheartening is this issue of abortion. I'll be honest with you guys. I've never been somebody that has supported abortion. I was raised in a Catholic household, uh, raised with a certain viewpoint of that stuff. And what's funny is, you know, a, a lot of, especially people who like leave the church, they'll talk and, and, and it could be in many cases that this is what happens. Right. Um, a lot of people will look at a situation like this and they'll say, oh, well, I wasn't taught. I wasn't taught anything good about this. I was just taught a lot of propaganda. 
that's not that's not my experience. I was actually taught. In fact, I was taught very. Um, I was taught a very, very strict, and I was taught a very scientifically uh, uh, defense of why abortion was wrong beyond the moral claims. Now, of course, there. What what we the society the way pe- most people have been raised is to defer away from taking away somebody talking about somebody else's business, right? There's something very American about that sentiment. At least one of the things people talk about Americans is to mind your business. You do your thing. I'll do mine. And we'll live in peace together. I think that agreement had the the chance to work. And what's particularly worrisome about videos like that in this next video I'm going to play is how as a sign, because, because, the one of the a few years ago, I would have taken the position that abortion is a wedge issue that's used by the political elites against the population to divide them, and there is a large degree of truth in a statement like that. But it's 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 moved beyond that, and you can hear that in um, in John Kirby talking about it. I think I got it right here. Your family's livelihood with the river. Uh, I've seen it myself, and it matters itself. And it matters because it says we're invested in you because you are being willing to invest in us. You're investing your life, your family's livelihood with us. We owe you that back in return. I had a chance a couple of weeks ago. Investing your life matters because it is a foundational, sacred obligation to serve family members. So being able to what, what John Kirby talks about in this little video here is the reason why the DOD is saying that abortion is healthcare or whatever is because they want to ultimately retain talent, both in terms of female service members and also the, the spouses of, of, of male service members, as the case may be. And so making sure that they have a right to this, that this, this procedure, right, the, the right to end the pregnancy without repercussion, he calls this. And it's not by mistake. That's the scary part. Out on the kinds of health care and reproductive care specifically that they need to serve. Uh, that is a foundational, sacred obligation of military leaders across the river. It's foundational and it's sacred. Now, you could make the very pragmatic argument, popped into my head as I was listening to that again, the very pragmatic argument that is, listen, if you want to have women in the military, you can't have them getting pregnant all the time. That's a drain on resources. There's something to that point, frankly. But I would disagree that the military should support that over creating more people that could eventually then join the military and become soldiers, right? You know, it's like one hand, which one is it? It's it's scary to me the way that the Democrats have not only taken on abortion as a talisman for their political rhetoric, but as a moral foundation for their worldview. Because it stands in opposition, well, to nothing more than the truth. You think that I, I think what he did is a terrible thing and a terrible mistake. This was Trump on Meet the Press talking about abortion as well. 
Mr. President, I want to give voters who are going to be weighing in on this election yeah. a very clear sense of where I think you stand I on think this. I think they're all going to like me. I think both sides are going to like me. Let, let me what, but what's let Mr. going President, to have to Mr. happen President, is you're going to have to... This question, Kristen, please. you're asking me a question. What's going to happen is you're going to come up with a number of weeks or months. You're going to come up with a number that's going to make people happy. Because 92% of the Democrats don't want to see abortion after a certain period of time. If a federal ban landed on your desk, if you were reelected, would you sign it at 15? Are you talking about a complete ban? A ban at 15 weeks. Well, people, people are starting to think of 15 weeks. That seems to be a number that people are talking about right now. Would you sign that? Uh, uh, I, would, I would sit down with both sides and I'd negotiate something and we'll end up with peace on that issue for the first time in 52 years. Uh, I'm not going to say I would or I wouldn't. I mean, DeSantis is willing to sign a five-week and six-week ban. Would you support that? You think that I, I goes think what too he far? did is a terrible thing and a terrible mistake. Mr. President, now, I think this was, a, was, was actually a big mistake on Trump's part, but it's, as what his supporters would say, part of his charm. And it's also not a departure from anywhere Trump has been. But DeSantis, the DeSantis team put this out in particular, lambasting the former president because he said he wasn't willing to sign a six-week abortion ban. Now, as little as five years ago, Trump talking like that would be a godsend to the Republican Party. And I found it very interesting. I found it very interesting the way where I would have predicted in the past that people would have been a little more understanding of Trump's position. Now, this hasn't hurt his overall place in the polls, mind you. This was just something that you know, he took a shot at dissent at DeSantis in the in there, which is also part of his problem because he has to try. He's trying to different. Right. Like he's he wants to play deal maker. That's always what Trump tries to do. He want let's make a deal. And so he's trying to differentiate himself from what he sees as his largest competition in DeSantis. And he says, he's crazy. I'm going to be reasonable and I'm going to work with people to get something done. And a lot of people, to their credit or detriment, depending on how you want to look at it, decided that this wasn't good enough from Donald Trump. Now, again, it's kind of for show because he's still well ahead in the polls at the moment. The fact of the matter is, legislatively speaking, the best you can hope for at the federal level would be a 15-week ban. And with different states having different laws inside of that. What's interesting like I said, has very little to do with where conservatives are, but very, but everywhere to do where the left and the progressives are. Because I think for, for most, for the average person, for your run-of-the-mill left-wing voter in this country, I don't think that person ever wanted to consider abortion a moral center of their life and worldview. But, like the frog in the boiling pot, they've been they've they've slowly been brought to the position that they're at now. And just like another segment we saw, where Gavin Newsom is talking in front of the UN, and he's using a particular mode of speech. There's a particular mode of speech when it's when you employ moral rhetoric, you're activating certain things in people's psyche. Look, I don't, I, I, I don't think there's, any, there's much that can be solved with federal U.S. politics, 
right? I'm not, we're, we don't, we don't have that kind of view here on this show. We try to see with as clear of eyes as we can. Um, but I don't pretend, I don't pretend to be perfect in these sorts of things. But what, it, but there, but it is, it is interesting. This whole abortion question. Let's see. Where do we want to go next? Are we far enough in? Oh, here I am saying, are we far enough in to do something a little controversial? But I'm live streaming on Rumble. They're not going to care. So I want, <clears throat> so we're going to shift gears here a little bit because I want to talk about, I want to talk about RFK. I want to talk about RFK just for a little bit because I do find him. I don't think he's a great candidate, but I certainly find him an interesting one. And I'm going to, I'm going to lay out an idea here. That's also going to be available as a written piece at beenawake.com in the near future. I'm going to lay out kind of a thesis that I want you guys to, um, that I want you guys to play with. But before we do that, I definitely want to watch a couple of videos from RFK that I've got saved that I think are worth your attention as he scrolls to said point. Still not there. All right. So this one is, this one is a clip of him on Bill Maher, um, Bill Maher's podcast that he's been doing. So let's, let's watch. On the side that shows that autism is caused by vaccines, there's over 100 studies. I, in fact, did a book in which I listed all of those studies and digested them, in, in, in other words, summarized them all, and you can go and source them. And I have over 450, uh, citations, uh, 450 studies summarized, and I have 1,400 citations. Okay. The, the question for your campaign is... I, I'm not talking about this stuff on my campaign. I'm just talking between well, you and me. That's a ridiculous assumption. Of course you're going to have to talk about it. Well, if I'll, somebody asks me, I'm going to. They're all going to ask you. Are you serious? <laughs> no, they this don't is all they're it. going to ask you about. The, you think they're... I will say, I'm not the biggest fan of Bill Maher, but I do think it is interesting to watch him on this show because he has a certain unguardedness with his conversation versus his, um, his, his longstanding series on HBO. And he points out what, of course, this is, this is one of the things I don't like about RFK is how, despite the fact that he's embraced controversial issues, he kind of has this air of, well, it's not what I'm trying to make my campaign, campaign about. And Bill Maher says what all of us think in this situation, which is, of course, this is all they're going to talk about in regards to your campaign. They're your friends who want to help you. They're, no, they're they, don't go, want to, they don't want to help They me. want to go to the most vulnerable point, which is you're a coup no, that's, because you don't believe in vaccines. That's not I, me talking. I, no. I don't believe that. But that's what but they do will. do you believe I don't believe in vaccines? I, I believe you are more. Um, I just believe you know, in science. I, I understand, but, but I, you know. Any Yeah, but let's not talk about again the science. That's the thing. That's the mistake they made. I believe in oh, science too. Listen, listen, but, Bill, but just like the, I mean. the other I mean, side of it, what, let, let we, me just say this: we have different. Every medicine is required to do placebo-controlled trials. That's what science is. You give you you give a, a group of people, a cohort of people, the the medicine. 
and then you give the a, cohort, a similarly situa situated cohort of people the placebo. And then you look at health outcomes over a, a four or five year period, because many of the impact of the outcomes are going to have long diagnostic horizons and long incubation periods, so you won't see them immediately. You need to do it. Anthony Fauci has said eight years for a vaccine. You need to watch them for a while. Those studies All valid points, the right? only but medicine the, that never get gets into. tested are vaccines. And that is what I object to. It's yes. not, I'm not I, saying I, the, you know, that not only the only one effective, it, all I'm saying is let's test them the way that we test other medications. That well, does not seem no, unreasonable. That is not unreasonable. Well, that's my position. That is RFK's position, if you listen to him. Right? He doesn't think that all vaccines are a problem. He thinks that they should go through the same sorts of medical trials that other drugs have to go through before they're approved. And he thinks it's a problem that they're that the companies are free from being sued. Those are very reasonable positions. But and I'd encourage you if you if you want to do a deep dive to understand these things, I think one of the best avenues for this is James Corbett, James Corbett's James Corbett's documentary on Bill Gates. If I, I'll, I'll, let's see. I'll remember to put that in the show notes, but um, it is a very good documentary series. And what I love about the series that I think he does very well is he lays out precisely why, especially today, when something happens, medically speaking, all the all the trusted sources, as it were, all the important people in society rush to some sort of a vaccine solution instead of therapeutics or other drug forms. The incentive structure is real and it exists. And RFK, who spent his life as a litigator, and the law is still a place where you can act, where you can speak pretty freely, provided you have facts on your side to back you up. He, that, that comes through a lot in these interviews. It, he, and, and, but as Bill Maher points out, this is exactly, this is exactly what, um, this is exactly what we, what, this is exactly what everyone's going to try to do because otherwise they might listen to this part, this kind of RFK. The founders of our, and the framers of our constitution knew that democracy was a very inefficient system that it had all of these built-in inefficiencies and difficulties. They said that they felt that it would give us the one thing that would give us an advantage over totalitarian systems was this capacity for the free flow of information and, and a complete lack of control of debate so that ideas that would eventually mature into policies would be annealed in a furnace of debate and then rise through the marketplace of ideas rather than being dictated from above. And that's what would give the energy, the vibrancy, the vigor to democracy. When they invented this democracy, we were the if you, first If you're one like in 50, the 40 to 50 years old, this is like crack. By 1865, five other nations had imitated us. I, today, it's 190 nations based upon our system. We are supposed to be the exemplary democracy and the Warner Foundation Stone of our system is freedom of speech. All of the other freedoms depend on it. 
If we lose that, not only do we lose our democracy in this country, but the entire world exactly. loses us as an Ex example. Exactly. So, you know, he was on, um, he was in front of Congress, but that's kind of the other side. If you've been paying attention to him at all, and I, I've, I've kind of been watching his campaign closely, that's really what he wants to talk about is a return to some kind of normal um, American normalcy where America was, um, was, a le uh, was that beacon on the hill, despite the uh, that shining light on the hill, despite the fact that he wouldn't be the biggest fan of Reagan. See, RFK wants us to return back to the America of the 80s. And I think that ultimately is his undoing. I find it interesting to compare in my mind RFK and Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders from Vermont. I have a, I'm not the best at accents. Bernie Sanders is an avowed socialist. RFK Jr., to his credit, is an avowed capitalist and an American. Bernie Sanders is an avowed socialist. Somebody who claims to speak for the common man and maybe, to, maybe had lived a simple lifestyle until he decided to cash in. See, in case you've forgotten... Bernie Sanders ran in 2016 against Hillary Clinton, and he had a lot of support, right? There were the Bernie bros online. A lot of young people with a left-wing persuasion got behind his message of democratic socialism. They wanted to redistribute the wealth. They thought it would be a better world the more socialized things became. Now, from where I sit, Bernie Sanders, rather than maintaining his status as the outsider, because keep in mind, he ran independent for a number of years. He didn't have to rely on the party infrastructure to get elected, even if he normally caucused with the Democrats, as far as his voting record was concerned. But he wasn't part of the Democratic Party. But when he decided to join, he went all in. And what that meant was when the time came for him to step aside and endorse Hillary Clinton, he did. Because that's the story, that's the ritual, I should say, in the cult of American democracy. What am I talking about? I'll explain. It's a well-known fact that for the, two, for, for the Democrats and Republicans, the primary is a time where you try to strike a balance, this is talked about all the time in punditry, that the primaries are where you try to strike a balance between the more extreme elements of your party while still being appealing to a broader base beyond, the, beyond Republican voters. You want to attract some independent voters and maybe make a couple of the other parties switch sides. Regardless of what else you believe, if you're a politician, that's the strategy you should, evolve, you should adopt. So in the primaries, especially when people know they're not going to run, they're not going to actually win, they, don't, they might not have to worry about that pivot to the center. So they'll stay out in the margin. And Bernie Sanders was one of those people. 
Let's throw one more politician into the mix, shall we? Ron Paul. Ron Paul had a completely different perspective than the rest of the Republican Party. And depending on the position you take, he tried to make things more extreme. The opposite of socialism, free markets. Here's the key difference. To whatever shenanigans went against Bernie Sanders, he still at the end of the day endorsed Hillary Clinton and advocated on her behalf and campaigned for her on her behalf. Ron Paul did not do the same thing for John McCain in 2008 against Obama because Ron Paul is a man of principle. I think, for whatever else I might think about him, that RFK Jr. might be a man of principle as well. I think he sincerely wants to restore American democracy, the kind of American democracy his father and uncle talked about at the dinner table growing up. But I don't think the Democratic Party is interested in having him amongst their ranks. They've certainly made that clear. They've also made it clear they're very comfortable having somebody like Bernie Sanders in the middle of their ranks. So what should we take from that? Simply this. Economic socialism, progressivism, is 100% accepted in the Democratic Party but believing in the greatness of America is not. I don't think you have to make it more complicated than that. And so what they're doing is they're using RFK's admittedly unpopular opinion about the, va the vaccine system in this country, the vaccine regimen that we, that we have, and more recently the implementation of what they called a vaccine for COVID-19. And they're saying, this guy's crazy. You shouldn't listen to anything he says. So they're trying to marginalize what he believed in, what he believes in. But what does he say? He's not making his campaign about vaccine skepticism. He's making his campaign about instituting some kind of normalcy back to the American political system. A hope for American liberal democracy. And the Democrats, I don't think they want anything to do with that. That's where I'm at, at least. If you like what you heard today, go to inawake.com to subscribe for future updates. My name is LB Muniz. And I am not one with the woke.